For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Love has carried us. Hi. This is our community moment right now, and I am going to lead us just for a few minutes. I want us to think about this last week and to notice, did anybody have this last week deal with the emotion of lamenting? I want you to look around and see the hands that are here. It was a hard week. I want to say it was a hard week to be a human. And for those of you that may not know what we're talking about, it's the Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford element that happened this week. And I think if we don't talk about that as a church, we're not actually being honest about how we're all experiencing. So I'm just curious if people have words they'd like to say out loud about what they experienced this week. Um, now would be the time for us to share that together. Yuri? Mm-hmm. Disgust? Disappointment? Confusion? Sadness and status quo? Anger? Pain? Dumbfounded? It was a hard week. And I want to say for many people, I know many people that I talked to felt re-victimized. And I want to say, if you, I'm not going to be ignorant in this room, I believe that that is probably a true emotion that some people have felt. And I want to say that that is a place that we need to recognize and not run from. There is much to be sad about. There is much to lament. And that's why when we were singing this song just a moment ago that Heidi introduced us to, and it was like literally... um, I'm on your side, which is kind of ironic in the sense because, I mean, like, whose side? And what if God has the expansiveness to hold all of this, to hold the things that are confusing, to hold the things that are painful and dumbfounding and absolutely out of outlandish? But what if there is God's heart to hold all in it? I'm going to say a prayer for us, and I'm going to ask you if you feel comfortable and you would like to, please join with me and just at the end of each time say, Lord, have mercy. But I'm going to ask you if you would, would you keep your eyes open during this? And if you want to look around, I want to say this is one of those moments where we need to be in this together. So, Lord, to the places where our eyes need to be opened, please open them. Lord, have mercy. To the places where our ears 
have become adjusted to the status quo, would you remind us of your goodness? Lord, have mercy. To the places where the systems we have created do not see humanity, open our hearts, Lord God, to remember who we are and whose we are. Lord, have mercy. And to whatever lies ahead, we don't know what's around the bend. To the ways we feel dumbfounded, we feel confused, we feel pain, we ask, Lord God, that you be with us and remind us that you are God. Lord, have mercy. Thank you for lamenting with us, and thank you for lamenting as a community. Hello. The scripture this morning is from Numbers 11, and it's verses 4 through 6, 10 through 16, and 24 through 29. The rabble among them had a strong craving, and the Israelites also wept again and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, all at the entrance of their tents. Then the Lord became very angry, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated your servants so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a suckling child to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they come weeping to me and say, give us meat to eat. I am not able to carry all these people alone, for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, put me to death at once. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and spoke and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the Spirit rested on them, and they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. The word of the Lord. Hey, everybody. My name's Steve Weens. I'm the senior pastor around here. And um, uh, before I get into the message, one quick announcement. Oh my goodness, Siri, no. Um, uh, Siri said, go ahead, I'm listening. <laughs> Awkward. 
<laughs> Note to self, disable certain things before I get up to preach. No, the announcement is super fun. Uh, starting next week, October 7th, and for the remaining first Sundays of every month, we're going to have a community meal downstairs in the parlor, right after church, 12 to 1. It's going to be super fun. We're going to provide food, and so you just need to show up. Uh, the food will cost a minimal amount, suggested donation, but it'll be great. And there will be a bunch of tables that are just open for anyone to gather around them and have whatever conversation they want. But there will also be guided conversations around certain tables. So one of the ones that I'll highlight will be what we're calling Discover Genesis. So if you're new around here and you want to hear, like, how did this place get started? What's important? Uh, how do I get more involved? Um, I would encourage you to get around that table with me, uh, and we will talk about what Genesis is. Uh, and there will be some other uh, tables as well. So next Sunday, plan on sticking around. Uh, it's for anyone who wants to come. It'll be right after church, downstairs. Uh, just grab your kids first, right, and then come. You know, don't be like, oh, it's 12.45. I haven't even got my kids yet. Uh, from the kids' check-in, that would be wonderful, okay? And then it'll be every, the first Sunday of every month, we'll do that. Sound good? All right. Uh, then let's dive into the talk. Um, so where we are in history in this particular passage is that the Israelites have left Egypt. They've been liberated. Moses has led them out. And it's been somewhere between 12 months and maybe two years since they've left. But they're in liminal space, meaning... They're not where they once were, which is Egypt and slavery, but they're not where they're going yet, which is the promised land. And they thought that journey might take a couple of weeks, should have taken a couple of weeks, but here they are, 18 months into <laughs> going somewhere and being led somewhere that you don't really know where that where is, and all you have been eating are, are these little wafer-like, like vanilla wafers sort of, which taste really good at first. Like, give me a box of vanilla wafers called manna, and, and I will eat them. But then after a while, like, I want, I want a burger, right? I want, I want some bacon. I want something. I want some kale. I just threw that in there for those of you who weren't <laughs> identifying with the bacon and the burgers. Um, but these people, the rabble, don't you love that word? the rabble were getting cranky because they're in liminal space and it's not easy to be in liminal space, is it? You've left that thing that you wanted to leave, but it's taken a whole lot longer than you thought it would to get to the place where you're gonna go. So here's an all-play question. Uh, and this one, most of my all-plays are for sure wide open and non-rhetorical. This one actually has an answer, but, but I'm just gonna ask it. How did the Israelites, here's my question, end up in Egypt in the first place? Anyone know? They were hungry, they ran out of food, and Joseph was there. He had basically was running the country, saved all this food. So he invited his family, which that's all the Israelites were at that time, uh, Jacob and his sons and their kids. He invited them into Egypt and he took care of them. And that worked for a long time. And then Joseph died, and then a new administration came under power in Egypt, and eventually they enslaved the Israelites because they were terrified of them because they were growing so fast and they thought they were going to take over. And they thought, this is kind of awesome. We can build all kinds of stuff on the backs of slaves. 
Uh, so let's, let's, let's force these people into slavery. And we know that because Genesis 50, 21, 22, this is Joseph talking to his brothers, have no fear, I myself will provide for you and your little ones. Uh, in this way, we read, he assured them, speaking kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Um, but life changes, doesn't it? What once was, meaning Egypt, a safe place to be fed for the Israelites, became a very dangerous place where they were enslaved. And so um, by the time they get out to the wilderness, they've left Egypt, they are a mess. But they didn't start that way. In Exodus 1, 5, we read about their journey from where they were to Egypt. And we read this. Uh, All the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob (laughs) were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. Now, the word for soul is nephesh, but it's really interesting that in the English, it's translated souls, plural, but in the Hebrew, it's singular. 70 soul. What does it mean when a community of people, this is an all-play question, are defined as a singular soul? Agreement. Deep connection. Unity. Family. You're rooted. I love that. An interwoven essence. Ooh, Becky, did you hear all those? Mm, mm, mm. Mm. <laughs> so, um, say it again, Rachel. It means, Rachel said, if one of the souls is broken, then we're all broken. Ah, yes. So they entered Egypt as one soul, one essence. And that's how things often start, right? When they start, it's easy to be like, we're together in this because we're one family. Um, We're clear on what we're about. But then... It's interesting, so I'm going to read what Carrie read right away. So fast forward 400 plus years through slavery, and then now they've left, and now we're current. We're 12 to 24 months after slavery in Egypt, where the text meets us here in Numbers 11. The rabble among them had a strong craving. (laughs) And the Israelites also wept again, saying, if only we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt? Uh, for nothing, we ate it for nothing. We didn't have to pay for it. (laughs) How quickly we forget, right? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, but now our strength is dried up and there's nothing but all this manna, this vanilla wafer to look at. So some Hebrew, because it's fun and nerdy. Uh, Ava is the Hebrew word for strong craving. It means desire, lust, to covet, And what they were doing is they were remembering the food that they ate, and it really was good. Um, And it really was delicious. And it really was provided for them. But they're forgetting the taste of slavery. 
So they are, when you are in liminal space, when you're no longer there, but not yet where you're going, what comes up very often is strong craving for something. And what I want to say is that strong craving is good, but we typically can't identify what we really need at first. So we settle for something that's sort of easy, that gives us a quick feeling of satisfaction. Amen? The real work of liminal space is to get past that initial strong craving, name it, okay, you want this. All right, let's not judge that, but let's say what's one step deeper into something that I need. Dried up, yabesh, means, so remember they said our strength is dried up. We're crispy, we're burned out, we're withered away, and we're ashamed, that's what that means. So the people are saying, we're hungry, we're hangry, we're burned out, we don't know where we're going. And then when it says our strength is dried up, the really fascinating thing is that word for strength is nefesh. Our soul is dried up. So we started as what? One soul, one essence, and now our essence, our unity, our togetherness is dried up. That's what they're saying. Now, a, le- a good leader knows how to interpret complaining like that to, whew, there is a strong need here. And I can either react to the complaining and say, you idiots, or I can say, okay, let's, let's take some time to figure out what this hangriness is really all about. Now, that's a good parenting tip too, y'all. That's free. Um, it's not always easy, but, right? Uh, it, it's, it's a good relationship tip too. It's a good just self-awareness tip. If I'm complaining about everything and all of a sudden I realize, wow, I'm complaining about a lot. What am I hungry for? That's a good follow-up question, right? And if you don't know, like go to someone that's been around you a lot and say, I've been complaining a lot, haven't I? Yes, you have. What do you think I'm, I mean, I can't even identify it. What do you think I'm really hungry for? So that would be a little assignment for some of us. Because another reaction when all, like being Moses' mind, so I've followed God, we're out of Egypt, we're wandering, we're kind of lost, we don't know where we're going. The temptation would be for Moses to say, man, what is wrong with me? I'm such a terrible leader. I can't even provide for these people. But Moses doesn't react that way. It's really fascinating. So one of the first reflections I would say is that for a community of God's people, whether it be a church, a family, a nonprofit, they have to name their collective essence or soul. You have to know how to name it, what it really is. And then you have to be honest if you've lost it. Amen? And so... um, Moses' problem is, by the people's very admission, they've lost their essence. Now, some of that is because the rabble that moved out of Egypt wasn't all Israelites. There's some Egyptians that came with them, which is great. But, like, now we don't have shared identity anymore, right? 
So Moses' problem is the soul of the liberated Israelites is not united. They've lost their essence. So what does Moses do? Well, number one, it would be important to remember the essence. And we're not going to just make it up. It's actually written right in the scriptures. Genesis 32, 28, when Jacob, who was named Israel, was wrestling with God. Remember this story? Crazy story. Wrestling with God. He's asking for a blessing. He says, I won't let you go, messenger of God, until you bless me. (laughs) And so all kinds of crazy things happen. But at the end of the day, he gets renamed from Jacob to Israel, which means, this is so good, uh, Israel is those who wrestle with God and humanity and are able, or and who prevail. So the essence of Israel is the people of God in Israel. The essence of them is you're going to wrestle, you're going to struggle, you're going to live in the tension of being both freed and not freed, you're going to be God's people in the world, you're going to show the world who God is by the way that you love each other, and you will do that by wrestling with the realities of evil and sadness and pain as you move through life. That's your essence. And you'll do that because you're rooted in God. And that's the only way that you'll do it. So Moses names this to himself, I assume. Now again, he has an option. I can think of myself, he's a terrible leader. 600,000 people he's trying to lead. And he used to be a shepherd, you know, chilling out with the sheep, reading books. It's all good. Now he's leading 600,000 complaining people. So I'm going to read to you what he does. It's fascinating. He goes to wrestle with God because he remembers his essence. Here's what he says. Moses says to the Lord. (laughs) This, by the way, really is one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. No kidding. I love this passage. Why have you treated your servant so badly? Moses says to God. The servant is him. Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? And then he gets like sarcastic. Honestly, did I conceive this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a suckling child? To the, because he's calling them babies right now. Am I the mother of all these babies? Uh, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a suckling child to the land that you promised an oath to their ancestors. Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they come weeping to me and they say, give us meat to eat. Am I not able to, I am not able to carry all this people alone. They are too heavy for me. And if this, this is my favorite. If this is the way you're gonna treat me, put me to death at once. If I have found favor in your sight, Uh, If I have found favor in your sight, put me to death at once, and don't let me see my misery. Meaning, kill me now, but can it not be painful? Can I just die in my sleep? If this is the way that it's going to be, God, kill me. Kill me now. Now, here's an awfully question. (laughs) What can we learn from Moses about how to pray when things seem horrible? Be honest. Put it all out there. Tell me your emotions. It's okay to be dramatic to prove a point. Any Enneagram fours out there? Come on now. You just got freedom right now. Freedom. 
Now remember, with, with God. <laughs> Sometimes with others, you might want to scale back a little bit. Um, what else? Say it again, Jenny. If you're going to wrestle with God, you got to know you're actually moving toward embrace, whether you like it or not. Is that what you said? You said it so clearly and fast, Jenny. I, I wasn't sure I got it, but I think I did. Mike, you had something? Be specific, yeah. Okay, so all that is true. I actually had some things that I noticed as well, and you've said some of them, but he's unedited. He actually blames God for treating him badly, <laughs> which, okay, I guess you can do that. There, there's, some, there's some drama. There, there's some sarcasm in there. Am I the Medad I can see these people? Um, so go for it. Anything you want to say, according to the Bible, with God, is okay. Go for it. Now, that, to me, that sounds like freedom. I also love that Moses assumes that this problem is God's problem to solve. And he's putting it to God and saying, hey, if you're not going to solve this problem, you might as well kill me because I'm not going to solve it. And that is very different from the American ethic. I got it. I'll solve it. Once I figure out a plan, I'll probably pray about it if I'm a Christian, asking God to bless my plans. Now, believe me, I'm speaking very um, autobiographically right now. Moses knows it is God's problem. And he tells God he cannot continue leading the way he has been leading. So there's, there's an coming to the end of himself, which is really, I think, a good thing that Moses comes to. Because you can see that as drama and sarcasm. You can also see that as like, listen, I've been trying my hardest to lead these people, but I don't, I don't have anything left in me. So... If we're going to move forward, either kill me or help me. So that's a good prayer. If you don't have all the words, just, God, I don't know what to do. Either kill me or help me. Right? I'm not making it up. Okay. So God's response. Okay, verse 16. Okay, Moses, gather me 70 of the elders. What do you notice right away? Community, yep. Jackson. Yep, that's a total. The writer that wrote Numbers 11 is like putting a little hint, hint, hint. Like there, he's making it really obvious, but he wants you to remember the 70 soul from Exodus 1. That's why it, there's 70 there. The writer's saying, we're going back. We're going back to collective essence. And um, so when you read the Bible, you got to pay attention to stuff like that, right? It's fun. If you don't know, ask someone. Anyway, um, so gather me 70 of the elders whom you know to be the elders of the people. What does that mean? Gather people to lead that are actually leading. Thanks, Eric. What else? They're already trusted. Not necessarily people in charge. Thank you, Matt. Totally true. Thank you, Jenny. People that hold the essence still. People that have the essence. 
people that know how to wrestle with God and people and come out the other side. So, but what's also fascinating is remember, Moses said, God, this is your problem. You solve it. So then God says, okay, I'll solve it, but you got to name 70 elders. You know what I mean? So like there's this, you can say, God, this is your problem, but God will almost always go, yes, now here's what you're going to (laughs) do. You know? So it's not this just, well, now I'm going to lay on my back like a turtle. I'm going to be a part of it. It's going to cost me something. And, um, but if you take your, you, that, that's the beautiful part. You can take all your honesty to God. You really can. But you have to know that when you do that, God will invite you into a solution. And then you can say yes or no. Amen? That's how reality works, people. So um, here's a question. Um, how do we know that Moses, because he's going to pick 70, people, 70 elders, right? How do we know that, that he's not going to let his own ego and blindness lead the way? Because that's a good question, right? How do we know? Or do we know? We don't know, Becky's whispering. I agree with that. Yes, we have a hint. Uh, Greg says that in this prayer, there was this real, um, there was this real coming to an end of himself. So we think we can assume he's not just going to just try again to handle them all by himself. Because he says, I can't handle them. There's also a little hint in the next chapter of Numbers, Numbers 12, 3, where God says Moses is the most humble person on planet Earth. And the word humble, anav, means poor, needy, and weak. So Moses, I trust Moses to lead these people because he's poor, needy, and weak. Now, what I would add to that is he's poor, needy, and weak, and he knows it. That's very different. You're poor, needy, and weak, and you don't know it, you're dangerous in, in leadership. You're poor, needy, and weak, and you know it, you pray prayers like, kill me now, or give me some help. Amen? That's why he's the most humble person on planet Earth. It's not because he, you know, oh, I'm terrible at everything, but it's all God, not me. By the way, don't say that. It's all God, not you. It's a little God, it's a little you, and it's a partnership. Right? So if someone thanks you for doing something, just say, oh, man, you're welcome. Don't get into all that like, ooh, this doesn't help. Gosh, that was, if you need to throw that away, though, if that feels offensive, <laughs> that was not in my notes, okay? So just, if that felt like, okay, now you're being too prescriptive. I admit it, you can throw that away. Um, okay, and then God says, verse 17, I will take some of the spirit that's on you, Moses, and I'm going to put it on the elders. They're going to bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not bear it all by yourself. So the spirit is spread out now to a multiplicity of people. And even that funny little thing at the end where the two guys don't go to the tent of meeting, but they still get the spirit and they prophesy. Like, why didn't they go? Maybe there were those, like, there were those guys that are like, this is stupid, man. Like, going to the tent of meeting with everyone else. I'm, I'm, no, 
I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm staying right here. I love the people and I have the essence of, of wrestling, but I'm just kind of done with all that rigmarole. God's spirit still lands on them. How awesome is that? That right there in the Bible, there's like these, eh, but God's spirit is full of mystery and still lands on them. I love that. So that's the beginning of the movement so that the Israelites will recover their identity as people who wrestle with God and wrestle with humanity and are able. And they're going to spend a whole lot of time figuring that out, right? And we are actually in that line of people that are still trying to figure it out. Are we not? Becky, thank you for leading us through. That's such an important piece. And here we are in this crazy time where there's so much division and binary thinking and polarized thoughts. Um, but I want to end with some reflections on our little church based on this text. So here's my question. We're not going to answer it right now. But the question is, what is the collective essence or soul of Genesis or Genesis West? Where were we? Where are we now? And where are we going? And right now, are we united? Do we remember our collective essence? And how would we know if we were or if we weren't? And who gets to decide if we are or if we're not? And remember, we talk about this quite a bit, but we say that we're verbs, meaning if we're made in the image of God and God says, I will be what I will be, that means we're verbs, and so we become. So we are absolutely not the same group of people that started at Sabus Jewish Community Center in July of 2014, right? We are something different and the same. And we're also going somewhere. So a couple of thoughts. The text talked about elders. We have elders. I don't know if you knew that. Becky's one of them. Laura Maloney's one of them. Tom Nichols, who will lead us through the Eucharist, is one of them. And Scott Groff is another one. And their charge or their mandate is, to be, is they're responsible to oversee the senior pastor and to oversee the spiritual welfare of the congregation, to ensure that the congregation is living out of its purpose and values or translated out of its essence. That's the elder's role. Now, they're not paid. They're people. These elders were appointed, but in the next few months, we're going to be doing membership, and then we'll have our first elected elder um, appointments at our annual meeting in, in probably May. So there's the elders of Genesis, but there's also the people of Genesis, of which the elders are part, um, but here's what I want to say. I want to say I've noticed something. And I want to ask you for your real attention right now. Genesis is four years old, a little over four. And um, 
I've been thinking about what I've been calling in my own mind the second ringers of Genesis, meaning not the people who were there at the beginning, 2014, when everyone gathered together at Sabbaths. I'm talking about the people that are a part of Genesis that hold the essence of Genesis, but came after that first year or two. And my strong sense is that there is a gap in the relationship between the second ringers and the first ringers, the people that started Genesis. I don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's because there's all kinds of animosity or something. But I do think that there is that gap. And I think it's time to do something about it because I think it's leading to us not being united and not being one essence. Now, someone needs to say it out loud because for most first ringers, they'd be like, what? I met a ton of people last week that are brand new. But if we, I promise you, and I decided not to do it because it would be embarrassing, but if you lined up some second ringers right up here and said, hey, how easy is it to just really feel a part of this little church? Most of them, my guess, would say it's really hard. So we have an opportunity to remember our essence. Amen? And there's probably third ringers too, (laughs) and fourth ringers. And I think the question that I want to pose to us is that um, we're no longer at Sabbaths, but we're not really in Robbinsdale yet either. Now, we're physically in Robbinsdale, but we're not really here yet because we're not a united essence. I don't know what the answer is to that. Um, That's not my problem alone to solve, according to the text. But I do think that that is our opportunity right now. So the questions we're asking together as a leadership team is, what time is it at Genesis? And I think it's time to name where we are now, who we are now, and become a united soul again in Robbinsdale. Amen?